turned down? Yes. Is this on? Yes. Is it on? Yes. Is it on yet? Yes. Hey, y'all, it's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. In this episode, the guys cover Imperial Miners, Sky Team, Lorcana, and CDSK. Plus, they continue refilling their game collection with their top three deck building games. Marty's going to have to move to a different house if he keeps refilling these games. Hello and welcome to Rolling Dice and Taking Names, episode 301, take two. The name of this episode is We Can Be Together. My name is Marty. I'm Tony. Yes, I am saying take two, because last night, y'all, we recorded an entire episode 301. We get to the end. We're patting each other on the back. Great show. High fives all around. And then we go into the process of sending the files to each other and... It's only happened, what, maybe one other time, Tony, in 300 episodes where we didn't have the recorded file. Uh, not not on our side, yes. there's We've had guests on who have issues, but we won't. Justin Jacobson. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm checking. I'm checking the time. What is he doing? Oh. I'm checking the time. So I'm here's sure the, things run. Here's the thing. <laughs> I threw a new recording device at him, and he's all ill because he has to learn something new. I don't why why it works. It works. Why does? Why do I have to do anything? Yeah, we can't uh, hear you when you aren't talking in the mic. Well, they can figure it out. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> one forty-four on recording. We are good to go. Okay. Maybe. That, All that, right. That's about the well, time it, I have too. So. Well, you know, if I adjust the levels, maybe you could hear me better. But oh no, that's too loud. Oh, cut it. Oh, what? You sound great. I found the headset that we recorded some of the originals on. We can go get those. Oh my gosh. You mean going back to like episode one and two? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you were like, why should I invest anything? We're not going to keep doing this 10 years later and 300 episodes later. Jeez. <laughs> All right. Uh, our last episode was our big Gen Con episode, but I, we were going to take some time just to kind of get some post Gen Con thoughts because we recorded that at the show. So, Tony, uh, after the show, uh, how do you feel about the show itself, like overall? Because I don't think we really gave that on the last episode. Well, it was definitely a crowded event, and I felt like attendance was, you know, solid all four days. Uh, There was never any slack time. I did believe that there was plenty of room to move about down the halls at certain points. We did get some congestion as people would stop, and I don't know why they would say, you know what, I think we should stop at the cross, at the crossroads. No. At the intersections of the aisles. Yeah. yeah. You had a good idea, though, of the roundabout around the trash cans. If you could mm-hmm. get everybody to take the same path, that would totally work. Right, but who would have the merge delays? I think it would be all one simultaneous, since we could bump into each other. You don't have to stop. It should work just like a roundabout, though. You, If somebody's walking in front of you, you wait till they walk by, then jump in. Yes. Now, I I did think I picked up a little con crud. Because mm. I'm getting ready to cough. <coughs> oh, guys, hacking along over there. I will say this. It's a tickle in my throat. Get, get, all right. I, a, a tip for everybody that's going to a convention. If you're going to go to a convention and there are a lot of people there, please do not wear a backpack that juts out about 16 to 24 inches from your back. Because when you swing around, you just take out everybody that's behind you. 
Unless that's the game you're playing. How I, many I got, people I can got I hit? so sick of that. I got to the point, it's like, all right, if you turn, I ain't moving. And if you run into me, I still ain't moving. You're going to have to adjust yourself. But everybody was doing that. Everybody's wearing these huge, but I understand. You got to carry your games. Carry your games in your hand, not on your back. Mm-hmm. I had this little backpack. No, that's fine. And I'm not. Now, yesterday's in take one, I had a rant on emotional support dogs, and I'm not going to touch that. <laughs> it was just because afterwards yeah. I was like, Marty was going to edit that out. I know he was. He wasn't going to let me rant about people bringing in these small dogs. Right, to well, you're s- doing it. No, I'm just saying, I'm giving the the jest behind. I'm not going to give my feelings. People are bringing in small dogs to these very trafficked areas. It was just scary. Now, yesterday when we recorded, uh, we got the numbers of how many people attended Gen Con. Tony didn't know. You had a guess of around 80, which honestly, that's what I was thinking too. The official number came in at a little over 70,000. Uh, the which is the highest attended ever. The last was 2019, where it was just below 70,000. So attendance was up just a tad. There was 570 game publishers this year, as opposed to 530 last year. Attendance last year was only 50,000, so it jumped. Uh, where's the math? 29% um, over last year. So Gen Con is back, baby. I liked last year's. I know. I know you did. And it was just announced, too, that uh, Indianapolis has just uh, worked out a deal with Gen Con. They're going to stay there through 2030. You ready for seven mm. more years in Indy? Nope. Nope. There's going to, there is going to be a time when I say, nope, not going, not doing it, not going to. Do it. it is a question every year that I have is, what is the value of going? Fun. To- fun. I we d- had fun. So I guess definition of fun is. Oh, my Lord. You didn't have fun? Some points, yeah. Did I have fun waiting two and a half hours uh, for dinner one night? Not really. <laughs> you mean at the at the man versus meeple meetup? You talking about that one? I was going to leave it nameless, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had fun with the people, but I mean, you know, hey, the air conditioning doesn't work in this room. Hey, we're going to use this to prop up in the windows. Oh, hey, here's your meals two and a half hours in. They are all cold. It was a copy of Frost Haven that was uh, propping mm-hmm. up a window. And that is no fault of the fine folks over at Man vs. Meeple. They had a little meetup. No. It was really nice. So It was a great meetup. It was the restaurant. And once again, it wasn't the fine people that were doing the wait stuff. Nope. It was simply not well executed. I mean, they had two rooms. Yeah, two rooms full of people, and they couldn't manage that. Mm-hmm. And now, did I have fun walking down the tunnel to Lucas Oil Field? Uh, no, but did I have fun while I was in the suite at Lucas Oil Field? Yes, okay, that was suite, nice. Yeah, so what happened was... Uh, that was some, very sweet. Yeah, <laughs> there is a, a, I guess it's a marketing, a marketing group that works with several publishers that opened up like a, one of the suites in Lucas Oil Field where you can just kind of come hang out and see some of the games they had. And it was kind of a nice place to chill because you could go out and sit out overlooking the field and there was the field was full of people and and people playing games and it was very packed in there but the space is so big it was just really quiet it was mm-hmm. cool and quiet it was just kind of a nice place to get away so i'm wondering if the convention center if they would move it to the field not no the football field there's no there's way more room on the convention center floor than that football field don't you think don't you think it's longer than 100 yards in that uh, convention center yeah well I, i'll i'll do a little measuring on the old google thing but there I mean, probably, but it just, it feels so much larger because it is in a huge stadium. 
Right. You know, the, the, the playing surface is, as you said, it's a, what is it, a 120 yards by, uh, it's like 55, no, 60 yards. It's a 60 and, yards wide, yeah. Something like yeah, that. man, then that's you always. sidelines, et cetera. And I got a trivia question about that. And, and did I have fun waiting to get home? I mean, two and a half hours on a plane? I mean, yeah, I enjoyed going to the Indianapolis airport and playing games, but did I enjoy sitting on the airplane? You know, there's always the negativity that uh, a trip will bring. And Donna gets mad at me for this, and you can too. Well, no, I'm not mad. I mean, we did. We have a situation where we got out, uh, loaded up on the plane, bad, bad storm in Charlotte. So they held us up until the storm cleared, and they can uh, get rid of the traffic that was circling Charlotte at that time. So we did set, sit in there for like over an hour. Did I don't mm-hmm. know how long we sat on that plane. Luckily, I had my switch. I had some books. And uh, some noise-canceling headphones to drown out the babies that were on the plane. And I didn't, so that's the next big order here. That's <laughs> that's something. Uh, so before Indy next year, we are ordering me up some. I'm going to put that on the expense form. There you go, some noise-canceling headphones. I will say that it feels like Gen Con should think about start capping. Well, they obviously must have capped because they sold yeah. out of Saturday-only tickets. So there must be a cap somewhere, and they sold out of four-day passes. So we must be at about the max for unique attendees, not only because uh, it's just crowded, but also there's there's housing is horrible, horrible. They really need another main hotel uh, there because uh, the housing blocks get filled up instantly within a few hours, and a lot of people had issues with that. And some people had issues, as we talked about on our Gen Con episode, of people getting their hotel rooms canceled because they went through third parties. Yeah. Well, luckily, luckily we didn't. Luckily we didn't. And we stayed at the Omni, which was like two blocks from the doors that lead right into the exhibitor hall. We, we were one block from the old spaghetti factory where our strike tournament was. So uh, I would definitely like to stay there again. So a gentleman uh, grew up with my daughter, attended Gen Con for the first time. Mm-hmm. And he was telling, I got the feedback from it because he was telling his mom about it. And he made a terrible mistake. His buddies invited him and he you know, even though after I would tell them year after year, it's a huge thing. It's a big thing. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's over-exaggerating. He was like, I never realized I should have had a plan. He walked aimlessly in the convention center, didn't know what was going on, didn't have a plan. He didn't map out the p- p- publishers he wanted to see or the booths. So, uh, you know, he's he's learned. He lives in the Indy area. So next year when he comes on probably Friday – he will know what to do. He will know, to. oh, I need to do this. I need to buy these event tickets. This was a spur of the moment. And I'm like, man, it's, that'd be hard to do, spur of the moment. But he, he survived it, and he was at our strike tournament uh, as my guest, and he, he, had a, he had a good time. He's going to go back. Good. The first time we went, there's only 32,000 people there. So it's a little bit better to manage. We didn't know what we were doing either, but it wasn't nearly as crowded, so... But one of the things we forgot to talk about on our previous episodes was a booth that we stopped by every day just to say hello to these gentlemen who run a t-shirt company known as Glitch Gaming Apparel. Nicest people in the world. So head over to glitchgear.com to take a look at what we're getting ready to talk about. But they had Pokemon t-shirts. Now you're like, oh, what's so special about you know, Pokemon t-shirts. It was how they used them in relationship to known name brands. For instance, instead of Pizza Hut, it was Pika Hut. Yeah. 
So they had the the traditional symbol for Pizza Hut, the red roof line, but then mm-hmm. they had Pikachu in it. Yes. I, and I picked up a shirt. Marty picked up a shirt. My shirt has Snorlax laying on a cruise ship. So it's Norwegian cruise lines. It's mm-hmm. Norwegian. Mm-hmm. And mine is, you know, I'm a big fan of Baja Blast from Mountain Dew. I had Baja Blastoise, uh, which was the, you know, uh, what's, what's the, is it the, is it Squirtle? And then he evolves mm-hmm. into a Blastoise. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, that was really, I was going to get instead of Mountain Dew, Mountain Mew. But the T-shirt was black. I got enough black T-shirts, and this other one is more of a teal, which I, I like better. But they had tons of them, y'all. And literally, Tony and I were just giggling at each one of them because they were just so funny. Yeah, I enjoyed the – there was a Zelda one. So it wasn't just all Pokemon. They had some Half-Life there. They had some um, Gears of War. So, so be sure to go check it out over at glitchgear.com. And by the way, no, this was not a paid advertisement. No. I just think they were just, I, we went by there every day. There was one or two gentlemen there that we just almost became friends with. Every morning we walked by their booth as we entered the door and we'd say good morning. And they were just, they were super nice. And the last day we went and shook the guy's hand and mm-hmm. it was, I don't know, just some super nice people over there. Yeah. The Ocornia of time uh, t-shirt is uh, something that looks like it's a, it's a, Oh man, is it low and brown? I can't. No, it's, I, I it's cor- wasn't it Corona? Corona, Corona. That was a Corona shirt. Yeah. Yep. So, so really ingenious stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, while we were on the plane, Marty and I decided that we could land the plane based on a game we played over at Gen Con, and it, it was one of the hottest games there. Next to Lorcana, they always had a line over at Hachette. We can't use Danny anymore, right? Ah, I mean, she's moved to another place. Why didn't record? Her? Oh my gosh, I forgot to record her for Flat River Group. That's where mm-hmm. she is now. Because it'd be so funny because we can actually say that one. But no, this was with Scorpion Mask. It was their booth, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, people came rushing in the door every day to get into a long line to try to get a copy of Sky Team. Right. I never saw Danny after that first day setup. Never saw her. Yeah, uh, dude, we went to a meeting and she was there with the press meeting. That, that was the night. Yeah, but I'm talking about like in the booth. <laughs> no. In the booth. No. I was looking, you know, in the booth because oh. she was over. They were over near Restoration. So yes, Sky Danny Team is a, su- a super sweet person that uh, we yeah. we worked with for years. So yeah, she has a new position now. So I guess uh, we always said Hachette, which is the publisher, the distributor, not the publisher. Basically, they bring all those games here mm-hmm. and. Uh, I'll get them into people here in the U.S.'s hands, but we'll just go by the publisher name. So Scorpion Mask, Hot Games, Sky Team. And let's go ahead and talk about it. Skybound Tabletop has two brand new small type card games that we got to see at Gen Con and one to tell you about. One of them is Kiss the Goblin. You're like, what the heck is that? Well, if you've ever played a role-playing game, it's like how you would you react to outrageous situations while trying to communicate a secret alignment. So you know the classic alignment system that you have, like chaotic evil or lawful good, etc. like that. You have each of these alignment cards uh, in your deck, and you're going to draw two, and it's going to be a random combination of the two. Then you're going to read a scenario like... How would you go out and tell a village that a dragon is on the way? And depending on what your alignment is, you're going to tell some sort of story. Everybody else around the table will secretly pick what the two alignment cards they think it is, put it down. They'll reveal if they're right, 
they get a point. If anybody guess what you did, you also get a point. So for example, if based on that scenario, if I had chaotic evil, I may go up to the village and say, you know what? Good luck with this and go sit over there and eat some popcorn. <laughs> Whereas like lawful good would be like, oh, you know, I'm going to warn you. I'm going to try to protect you. I need to save everybody. So the, the hard one, Tony, is neutral, neutral, <laughs> which mm -hmm. it's like, it's like, it's like, eh, whatever. Yeah. Well, there's there's yeah. For this drag be, coming, whatever. Be, run through the town. I just ran through the town. <laughs> yeah, not say a word to anybody. Not say a word. Just kept running. So it ends up being like a cute, cool little party game where you're trying to guess the alignment of other players for the whole goal of collecting points. Very, very cool game. But that's not the only game they came out with at Gen Con. We also got to play Pirate Tales. Pirate Tales is about collecting sets of nuts. That's right. You are squirrels. Imagine that. And squirrels like their nuts. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not going to be straight face. Go ahead. Yes, yes. You're collecting okay, nuts. I, I, yes, go I'm, ahead. I'm just telling it like it is here. <laughs> so you're sitting there trying to get a collection of nuts. The more nuts you have, the higher your value of your collection. For instance, let's say you want to collecting peanuts. Let's say you collect one peanut. It's worth nothing to you. You're going to starve on one peanut. If you collect two peanuts, it's the lowest value in your set collection. If you collect three, it's worth the middle value of your set collection. If you collect four or more, it's the highest value because your your scurry is fulfilled and they are happy with you. But what I love is what you do on your player turn. You got a certain number of alien cards out on the table. You're going to draw a card from the deck. You can place it face down on one of those island cards if you want. Or you can place it face up on one of the island cards. Or you keep it. After you do that, one of those options, you draw another card and you pick one of the two options you didn't pick. And then you draw a third card and you take the last option. So you're always one face up, one face down, keep. So I love the strategy of like, do I try to hide cards in this island? Do I want to keep this one for myself? Because eventually, Tony, one of us is going to decide, you know what? There's enough nuts in this particular island. I'm going to raid it, take all the cards from that island. Uh, anything face up goes on the table, face down goes into your hand, and you're going to play multiple rounds as you try to make a vast collection of your nuts or a big set of nuts because <laughs> that's what you want you do you want yeah you don't want a small set of nuts you need you don't a want large a set of you nuts want, you don't want a bunch of little nuts you need mini nuts not you like mini nuts. small nuts you need a lot of nuts that's right that's a lot of nuts that's what's going to score you the most victory points and the strategy in this game everybody's like well there's the strategy filling up those islands and forcing people to make hard decisions is always the, the key strategy here because you can force people to raid when they don't want to. Pirate Tales is now available for pre-order for $14.99 and Kiss the Goblin is available for pre-order for $17.99 both at skybound.com. So as I mentioned, Sky Team Hot Game from Gen Con from Scorpion Mask, a game by Luke Ramond. This is a two-player co-op game, plays in about 20 minutes. The whole theme of the game is one of you takes on the role of a co-pilot. The other person takes on the role of the pilot. You have a board that is shared between you. Each of you have four dice. Co-pilot has orange. Pilot has blue. You're going to roll those dice behind a screen. And then you're going to strategically place dice on the board to activate and control different plane systems as you try to land the plane. 
there is a timer on the board, which is basically, it looks like a bookmark, a long bookmark mm-hmm. that's broken into segments, which is basically a round timer. You start out at like 6,000 feet. It's your altimeter. And at the end of every round, you decrease by 1,000 feet till hopefully when you get to zero ground level, you're ready to start landing the plane. There's an other item that also looks like a long bookmark that represents a airport. And there's a bunch of different airports in the box. So there's a bunch of different conditions that you can use to, to land the plane. Be, that's the approach into the airport. The faster the airplane goes, the quicker that little bookmark slides underneath the board. Your goal is to try to, when you're at ground zero, you're right at the airport, which is at the end of the bookmark, and then you're going to safely land the plane. Now, Tony, you and I control actual different systems on the plane. Yes, we do. It's, there's um, First off, you are responsible for the um, landing gear. I'm responsible for the flaps, and the, the flaps and the landing gear are kind of important on a plane. So we got to make sure that they're in, in being used appropriately. We also both have radios where we can contact the control tower to get traffic out of the way. Now, one thing that's important, and did you, I don't know if you mentioned it, is when you're playing this game, you can talk to one another before you roll the dice as to what happens. After that, it's done. There's a fight in the cockpit. <laughs> yeah, we couldn't thematically try to figure out why the co-pilot and pilot couldn't talk at this point, but the dice that you've rolled are behind the screen, so you can't talk about the values that you've rolled. Now, we can, now Tony, I think we could, we could say, look, dude, we really got to get rid of these planes. And what, what we mean is it's on that bookmark for the approach track some of those segments of the approach track are pre-populated with little airplane meeples, I'll just call them, little airplane bits. And if you don't clear them out of the way as you slide that track under the board, uh, you could eventually crash into a plane if you hadn't removed it. So each of us have the ability to put any value die on our radio, and the value of the die counts the number of spaces on the approach track. And if there's a plane in that space, we get to remove it. Yeah, and it's very important because as the approach track is moves down, if there's a plane, you lose the game. Now, we both have locations for the, um, not the pitch, but the, is it the all? Axis. Of the plane? Axis, mm-hmm. the axis of the airplane. We both can be putting dice there. And the axis determines whether the plane is flying level or if it's turning left or turning right. And that is done based on the difference between the two dice. And that is only activated when both players put a dice there. Marty could put one there. And then a couple turns later, I could put one there. And the difference will determine which way the plane will turn. Now, if we if the dice difference is depends on where it's sitting, if you turn it too far, the plane's going to spin out of control. It's going to crash. It's going to burn. It's not a good thing. That's one way to lose the game. Mm-hmm. And then you have engine speed. Once again, on the engine speed, both of us have to place the dice there. So as soon as we both have dice there, then the engine speed is determined, and that will determine our approach to the airport. Now, if our engine speed is below a certain value, then the approach, we don't get any closer to the airport. If it's between two values that are marked on the board based on where the flaps are and the landing gear, and the landing gear, then we advance one on the approach. And if we are above where the flaps are set, we will advance two. So that's one way to control the speed. And 
That's something you will discuss before you begin placing the dice. Now, you didn't mention it. The two die are added together, and you compare uh, oh, that yeah. to the speed gauge, and wherever it falls in there determines how close right. you get. We didn't mention this, but on your, your you always play as a co-pilot, on the flaps and on the landing gear, those spots require a particular value of die. Like for the landing gear, there's uh, there's three spots. Uh, one can either take a one or two. Another one can take a three or four. Another one can take a five or six. There's four spots on the flap that can take one, two, two, three, three, four, or four, five, five, six. And but the thing is that with the flaps, you got to do them in order from lowest value to the highest value, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing is though, I don't think I don't know if you mentioned this. With our four die, two of your die must always be placed. One in the axis, one in the engine. That part was mandatory. The other two you could place wherever you want. And with all dice games, it's no fun if there's no way to mitigate dice rolls. So on the elevation, there's the ability on the easy setting, you'll get two re-rolls based on where you are. They're put on the elevation. And when that elevation clears, you pull over the re-roll. Or we can have coffee in the cockpit to keep us awake. And that can be any, any of us can place a die there. And we put a little coffee cup on the board and that can adjust the die up or down one without rolling it one to a six or six to a one. And you can spend as many as you want. So it's important that you have a way to mitigate the dice. With any of these types of games, you've got to mitigate the dice or there will be constant failure. And that makes it a no fun game. And I felt, Tony, that honestly, we had enough dice mitigation we also got to the point to where, like, say, if all the flaps were uh, engaged and all the landing gear was down, as we approached the airport, we were constantly putting dice in the coffee spots uh, to make sure that we had uh, enough coffee cup tokens available to us to modify as we landed. Because here's the thing when you land. Number one, you got to be at the airport, which is the very end of the approach bookmark. I'm just calling it bookmarks what it looks like. And you got to be at the end of the altitude track, which is the other bookmark. And they got to be at the same spot. But your plane must be exactly level by the time that happens. And your speed must be below what your brakes are set at. Yes, there's another thing the pilot has to take care of. And that's brakes. There's three brake values that you can assign dice to. Two four and six they must be put in that order and when you land your speed must be less than whatever your brake value is at that point so obviously you want to try to get it as high as possible imagine that you need to be at the airport on the ground when you try to stop the plane Mm -hmm. that's that's how that works you know and we didn't mention this but we talked about the flaps and the landing gear. You only have to assign a die there once. The board is really nice because it's like a dual layer board to put your die. There's a little switch underneath of the places that you put your dice for the landing gear and the flaps. And you slide the little switch over to show a green light. So that way in future rounds, that, that way you know, okay, in a previous round, I've already engaged the flaps here or I've already engaged the landing gear here. So you're going to place four dice. Uh, you... Decrease your altitude by a thousand feet, and then you talk again, come up with a strategy, roll your dice, and keep going. And that's pretty much the gist of the game. That's it. Multiple airports, different levels of approach, always the same elevations. The only difference is you get one less re-roll. So there is, we use the term replayability, but there is your constant challenge. So what makes this game a stellar game for me is that the fact that you are able to, it's it's a 
I don't want to say filler, but it's one of those that let's play it one or two times, maybe three times, and then put it away. We don't, it's not going to be one of those that come out on the table and it's going to take two, three hours to play. It's one of those that you're going to say, hey, let's play a couple of games. Let's play Sky Team and let's say Carcassonne or something if I was playing this with Donna. So that's what makes this such a good game. It's one of those types that helps you have a multiple game night without getting too heavy, too deep, but you have the challenge. And the challenge we didn't even mention was there's additional modules in the box. That was basically just the base game. But you have other modules that would be put into play depending on which airport that you pick. For example, one is trading an intern, which adds a whole new board. And you assign dice to the intern board to remove markers from them. The goal is to have all markers removed from that board by the end like you've trained your intern. There's one that has fuel, so you have to manage your fuel over the course of the flight, the airports can get tricky because some of the airports have a symbol on the approach track bookmark. When you get to a certain spot, it may say, okay, roll this black die and whatever the value of this die is, you got to add another plane on this approach track, which means planes are constantly being popped in that you have to deal with by use of the radio. So there's the intro easy up to very difficult scenarios that you have to maintain. Tony, uh, Nick and I did a really cool one as uh, you were landing at an airport in Japan and we were having to go around Mount Fuji. So there were certain spots on the airport track that showed, okay, your plane must be turned to the left two spots uh, when you hit this approach track. And if it's not, you lose the game. So we had to make sure that we were turned a certain way. And then we got by the mountain before we landed. We had to straighten out the plane again. And I think that was cool of subtracting the two where... If the pilot had a five and the co-pilot had a three, the difference of two meant turns to the left two spots, which means we'd eventually have to have it so that you, the co-pilot, play a large die, pilot would play a small die to try to switch it back the other way. I think it was one of the more clever things. So you got to put it on the ground. You got to stop the plane. You got to avoid other planes in the air. So from a thematic standpoint, are you a pilot? Are you doing a simulator here? No just having fun you're rolling some dice no see I, you're, I'm, I'm totally different i think you thematically, are. i think thematically it is one of the best games i've played thematically in a very long time yes you're just placing dice but you're using terms and doing things that fit the theme of the game you got to get the landing gear down you got to get the flaps down you got to get the speed up to overcome the fact the flaps are down all that is taken care of in this game assuming you know those terms well then you can learn okay I'm just, I'm just saying, let's, I don't know about flaps. I don't get on planes much. You know, I know brakes. I know landing gear. That's pretty easy. I could go watch an airplane movie. You've seen when you land and the flaps are down on the plane. Yeah. That's to slow it down. And if it's slowing down. But that's when it's landed, not when it's coming down. No, no. The flaps are down as you approach the runway. I thought the flaps were, were curved over on the plane so that it can descend and then they flap up as soon as it hits the ground. No, that's no, that's the airfoils to even slow the the plane. Oh. The flaps go down like the ailerons do, but they go down equally on both sides. Yeah, they they curve down. Yes, that's correct, which helps which is removing the lift from the plane at that point so it can start descending, but it's causing more drag so you have to give more gas to help maintain that airspeed. My dad's mm-hmm. a pilot. That's how I know, I know. this stuff. Okay. Yeah. So, so you say it's thematic. I mean, people are just basically going to say, you got to get to keep that down. That's fine. You make a game what you want to make it. If it's thematic to you and you understand all this and that's it. Hey, it'll be easier for you to explain to your dad than say to, for me to explain to someone who's never dealt with a plane. 
because you can use those terms, but I can easily explain the game. For me, this was probably one of the games of the con. I loved this game. The first time I played, I mean, we played it. We pl- sat there and played it again. Tony had to make a phone call. I had a, I dragged in another one of my friends, sit down, and, and we played there. I just really, really enjoy this game. And obviously, it was a huge hit. So we'll see if other people like it. So for me, definitely one of the highlights of the con. So if you're interested in this game, this game will be coming out soon. It is on pre-order right now at Miniature Market. However, as of this recording, it's showing out of stock, which sounds like all the pre-orders are gone. But this is an inexpensive game, $32.99, small box game. Uh, I, if, if, it sound, if you're looking for a good, solid co-op game place in 20 minutes, this might be the one for you. I am a huge fan of Imperial Settlers. I'm a huge fan of Empires of the North. So when Portal Games announced a new game in that line of games called Imperial Miners, I could not wait to try this out. Now, Tony, this is not a game designed by our good friends over at Portal Games. It was brought to them by Chevy Dodd, who found it from a designer whose name is Tim Armstrong, who thought it would fit very well in that family of games. They rethemed it. And we're going to talk about it today. So how did Chevy find this? I wonder. Did, I mean, did he was just like walking down a, an alley or what? I mean, you know, because, you know, Chevy's usually stuck in a tool shed. He has a story of this on his tool shed videos where I believe it was brought to him at a convention, I think. I think so. Yeah. So there you go. So if you haven't checked out any of Chevy's uh, videos, be sure to head over there. I mean, unlike this show. Those are actually beneficial, like woodworking techniques. Um, mm-hmm. So he does a great job. So I just want to give him a big shout out. So not only can he do some woodworking, he can find really solid games. Let's just go ahead and put out a huge disclaimer right here. Portal Games is a sponsor of this show. Are they? Well, they just actually said they would like to sponsor us again. Again, I don't know why. We give them an out every year, and Ignacy never takes it. So we always give him an out. Are you sure you want to do this? Did the check? Did the check clear? <laughs> I don't. I don't. We're still waiting on the Polish check to get across the ocean. Okay. So I'm saying that because uh, we're going to be at the beginning. We're going to tell you about this game and how it plays, which is very objective. When it gets to our opinions, obviously, if you want to, you can take that with a grain of salt. As you know that they are a sponsor of the show, but hopefully we'll tell you enough about the game to whether you know this is something you want to try or not. Yeah, as you should with any of our reviews or overviews. I mean, Ignacy sent it to us, said, I'd like your opinion, which is always a dangerous thing to ask for. Here we go. Objectively, this is an engine building game that plays one to five players and of their line of games like Imperial Settlers, Empires of the North. It is the fastest playing game and it is the easiest one to learn. I agree. I mean, the, the concepts are very simple. What you got to do on your turn. I mean, you're going to have an event occur. You're going to play a card. You're going to activate cards as you move up the mine. I know the theme is kind of pasted on with the mine, but it actually, I envisioned myself trying to get out of the mine as I was doing this. So you have four uh, types of cards. You have level one, level two, level three, level four. Uh, at the beginning of the game, you're going to be dealt some cards, and then you, you're going to pick four cards of the eight that are given to you to keep. Now, the rules for placement are extremely simple, even though Mark had some placement issues. I think I did, too. Other, other, did, are you sure? So I've played this game 
five, six times now. I've played a lot at work with my a friend at work. So I guess it's just natural to me at this point. So I, if I taught it wrong, I am so sorry. No, I don't. I think you didn't stress the offset and, and it's easy to forget. Well, here's the thing about the offset. It's kind of important for when you start activating cards and I'll explain why. So everybody starts with you with a surface board of your, of your color. Level one cards must go right below that surface board. Level two below will go below level one, etc. Except that when you start placing the level two, three, and four cards, the level two must be offset to a level one card that's above it. So it's only going to be touching half of a level one card that's above it. So that when there's two level ones above it, it's going to be bisecting two. And that's, I, I said that really wrong. That's okay. How about this? You have two level one cards. Side by side. And below and below that is a level two card right in the middle of those two. Ta-da. That's what it looks like. And you're lining up these mine shafts that are on the card. They're not very clear. I mean, I, I call them mine shafts and um, maybe cart mine cart tracks, but you have to line them up so that the card below it is touching two cards. So above it, so every card is going to have at least two cards that it is touching above it. Not necessarily. You could have one card above it. You could, because you because you don't have to always put, right, when you offset, there could be a card missing above it. Yes, yes. So you could go back and put one above it if you want mm-hmm. to. And that's advantageous because when you place a card, you will activate the text on that card. Typically, it gives you an option, do this or do that. Then you go up one row to either one or two cards that's touching that one, and you pick one of those two to activate and then you go above that card and you continue all the way up the chain till you get to the surface and you could do one of three actions from your surface card. Simultaneous play. You're not waiting on anybody. So that's why it's very fast. That's why people like Mark can cheat and do things that you're not <laughs> watching them. He wasn't <clears throat> cheating. He just, it's, it's just us picking. Uh, well, he didn't cheat. I probably just didn't explain the no. placement rules. I, I don't know. Here's the thing. How could I not explain the placement rules well? Because in our game night video, Ignacy is the one that screenshot a picture of his board and said he did level three and four wrong. He did level two correctly. He placed his level two cards correctly being offset, but level three and level four, he put right below those those particular cards. So he was he started out correct and then messed up after that. Mm-hmm. All I know is at the end of the game, we just looked and he, we had a bunch of colored gems, which are these nice gems for tracking victory points. And he had way more than we did. And I went, okay, well, I guess that's over. Also, another important part is you play. on a, When you play a card, you can only activate a card one time per turn because there are cards that would allow you to go back and activate other cards in your mind. You just have to remember, oh, I've already activated this one. I can't activate that one again. And one of the things is you... I mean, it may sound as simple as, oh, all I'm just going to do is play a bunch of cards, but you do have to pay for these cards. Mm-hmm. And some of the cards are very expensive. So from a strategy standpoint or thinking through your turns, you have to say, okay, on my next move, am I going to have enough money to pay for the cards I have? Also, do I have a place to place this card? Am I going to be able to meet the rules that we've already gone over about card placement? And how are how is the synergy? Because if I'm remembering correctly, uh, and, and I'm probably not, there's either six or eight of the factions from Imperial Settlers in this game. Uh, there, There's the, the the Robos, the Barbarians, the Japanese. The Robos? I called them the Robos because they had the little gears. Okay, yeah. Uh, the uh, Atlanteans. Um, uh, the Romans, the Barbarians, Roman. the Japanese. Yeah. And just like in those other games, they all have like special abilities for like, example, like the Scots. The more Scots you had in play, it made things cheaper for them. 
I believe it was the Atlanteans had the little gear tokens that you put on cards. The more tokens you had on cards, you typically got more benefits. Like like there was one that I got a lot was for every gear on this card, get two money. Right. There was another one's like remove any gears you want to from the mine and get victory points for each gear that you move sort of deal. So you want to try to pick a faction, maybe synergize on that faction if you can. But you, some of the cards will say if you the more factions you have in your mind, the better off you are. So you have to really see what cards you're getting. And one of the actions you take when you get to the top of the mine, of course, is to be able to draw additional cards. And, and it can be anything uh, from levels one, two, or three, but just not level four, because level four, they're always free. They're the bottom of the mine, and they guarantee you two victory points. And it starts your whole chain up, but you're only playing 10 rounds. So you don't have a lot of time to sit there and just mess around. You really do need to figure out your strategy as you were playing this game. What do you want to do? But that's not the only thing that's happening here, because with any of these good games, there are additional boards that are out that you can be advancing uh, your your technology, your influence. What 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 is that board called? I don't think I remember. There's three almost. They're not really tech trees. There's three advancement boards that have different names, and they're double sided. Each game, you're going to randomly pick a side of those three and put them down. There's like economy, technology. You you had mentioned uh, some of these, and they're all a little different. But on lots of those is how you get those level four cards. As you said, the surface card has one of three actions. One's going to be getting like two money. One is going to be pay money to advance on those boards. And wherever you land, you'll get something. You'll get some money, maybe some victory points. The ability to activate another card in your mind to get a level four card. And once you get to the top of the track, you just go down to one of the bottom of one of the other two tracks and you can continue from there. As you're playing, you got to think about that. You got to figure out how am I going to advance all in the effort to get the most gems out of your mind. Notice it wasn't victory points, it's gems. And the gems have different yep. values. So you got to get the most gems. And whoever was the most successful miner wins the game. Very fast playing game. Yes, it is. And there's only one resource to manage. Unlike in the other Imperial Settlers games where you have like tomatoes or fruit or apples or whatever you want to call them and wood and stone. Here, it's really just gold. You're collecting gold to pay for cards. And then those, that goal can be converted into victory points. So there's not a lot of different types of resources to manage. No, and that makes it easy for me. Mm -hmm. Fast engine builder. If you like your engine builders, this is a very quick one to get on the table. Very colorful art. Love the art. Ignacy did a great job of um, proofing this art because I know he didn't draw any of that. Though he does a good job of drawing cows. As we said, it's very fast playing. You could probably play 30 minutes once you um, understand the rules I've played two-player, played three-player, I played four-player. The length of time really doesn't increase that much anytime you add anybody because you're doing the exact same thing. Uh, when you flip over an event card, everybody's responding at the exact same time. And those event cards come from a deck of uh, cards uh, that you just randomly draw 10 at the beginning of the game. It could be an immediate effect. It could be an effect that happens, that occurs during the whole course of that round or it could be an end of round effect. Dawson didn't mention this. Uh, as you do these alignment of these cards, uh, there's those little, what you call shafts, Tony. Uh, those are like little mine carts that you are trying to complete. Mm. And if you could complete two sections of a little mine cart between two cards, that earns you an extra victory point at the end. During the course of the game, you may have some of the options on some of your cards or those technology tracks like alchemy, technology, 
diplomacy, et cetera, that we talked about those three tracks to add a cart to somewhere on your, in your mind, which would complete the cart space and give you an extra point at the end of the game. Now I do have something here, Tony, those carts came with stickers. Ignacy, this ain't no GMT game. Don't be putting no stickers in my portal games. He just wants to see how, he just wants to give you a little something extra to do while you wait on people. You know how he is. He's always thinking about the gamer. I didn't stick with those cards. Well, you should. I mean, it, we lost some effect. I bet they're cute little gold stickers. There they are. They look like they're little uh, stacks of gold <sighs> on top of my Because other than that, they just look like brown little pieces of cubes. But no, <laughs> no. It's not like there's like 30 of them in the bag or something. I know there wasn't that many. There, I mean, there were a lot and we don't really need a lot. But for me, this game is one that with quick setup, quick play, you know, I, I would put this on the table anytime to help exp- help people with who aren't really into the big, thick, meaty engine builders that take a while. And I go back mm-hmm. to games like, um, what is it, Gizmo, Space Base, you know, some, some of our other ones along those lines that I've really enjoyed in the past. And I think this one is perfect for that, for, for me to put on the table with Donna. Um, she enjoys the solitary gameplay. You know, one of our favorite games that I was talking about, Guild, Guild of Merchant Explorers, is one of her favorites. And a lot of it has to do with that it is very quick, turns are quick, and she's able to get out in solitaire play. That is, mm-hmm. that, that's one of her favorite things to do. She doesn't want the competition with me. She doesn't want where cards are taking. And unlike the Imperial Settlers world where you're raiding people, ra- raising, what is it, raising Yes. Ra- raising, you know, you don't have any of that. And honestly, I mean, yeah, the theme's kind of, eh, but I like it. I like the fact I'm trying to, es- I, in my mind, which is a dangerous place to be at times, I like trying to escape the mind with stuff and trying to set up those really nice combos that are going, but you've always got to be able to think, I don't have that much time to keep doing this. So hopefully I need to, I can't just shed a strategy. To me, you've got to stick to it with this game. I really enjoy it too, and for all the exact same reasons you said, so I won't repeat what you just said. I, I will say that there's some random in, the, in this in, in this game. Uh, I remember I was trying to start an engine with a particular faction, and I just kept going back to the cards to try to find that same faction to put into my mind, and I ended up wasting a lot of time going through cards that didn't give me the benefit that I wanted. So I need to realize as I go into the game, I can't at the beginning of the game say, okay, this is what I'm going for. I've got to to work with what's in my hand at the beginning of the game and what I draw over the course of the game. It is kind of hard to kind of plan ahead when you get ready to draw your cards because you just have no clue what's going to come up. So you got to be quick on your feet to decide, well, what the ones I got, where's the best place to place this next card so I can activate this next line of cards that might can be very activated later on in the game and maybe when i get a level four and make that big victory point sweep because victory points come very quickly at the end of the game because by that time you have a lot of cards on the board and by those last couple turns you're going to probably going to be activating hopefully four levels of cards plus your surface to generate a get a lot of victory points Mm -hmm. i was reading on the shopportalgames.com the um it's a tableau builder Tableau building, not engine building. Tableau building. But that is engine building, isn't it? Well, not necessarily. Tableau building, you know, you just put things out on the table in front of you. It doesn't mean that you're lining them up, that when you do this, it's going to activate this, which activates this. To me, that's what an engine builder is, is I I crank the engine, I start something, and it starts a chain reactions of Mm -hmm. things that start happening. 
uh, that will hopefully benefit me in the end. Hashtag great combos. Hashtag no downtime. That's true. There is no downtime, y'all. <laughs> the only downtime is if you place your card, if you've taken your entire action and you're staring at somebody else and they're still trying to decide what card they want to play. And I know you can pre-order it now over at shopportalgames.com for $39. And I mean, you're going to get a bonus. I love this. Bonus in big, bold letters. You get a bonus board, some bonus cards. The artwork is amazing. It's just so cute. It's Imperial Settlers artwork, which I've always enjoyed. And it's funny, the my friend that I taught at work that I've played with during lunch a few times, the uh, day it went open on pre-order, he went and bought two copies. Two. One for himself, and his friend said he wanted one, so he said, get one for me, too. So, uh, again, it's, it's, it's everything that you know about the Imperial Settlers world with the factions, the Scots, the Egyptians, the Atlanteans, the Barbarians, the Japanese, and the Romans. If you played Empires of the North, you played Imperial Settlers, you're going to feel very comfortable in this game. But if you feel that maybe those games maybe take a little too long, or maybe that's not something you would introduce to somebody who hasn't played a lot of games quickly... Imperial Miners is great for that. Small box, knock it out 20 to 30 minutes, easy to teach. Once you make, just make sure people understand the placement rules of the cards. That's Imperial Miners from designer Tim Armstrong from Portal Games on pre order right now. So, you didn't attend Gen Con or you attended Gen Con and didn't get what you wanted. Head over to www.miniaturemarket.com slash, let me finish, slash landing question mark P equal RDTN. Nope, that won't do it. That won't get us the that, affiliate? That, that's, that, the that's not the affiliate link. Nope. Nope. nope why not? Nope, nope, then why, does, not, why is there a link? That is not, it, well, because the there's a special link that it lands on that one, but the link itself is different. That's just how it redirects. So there's a special link on our webpage, RollDiceTakeNames.com, for the Miniature Market logo. Click on it. It's a special link that it will either take you to our landing page or the homepage. I've created links for both. And from there, go out and look at getting some of those games that came out at Gen Con or pre-ordering games for Gen Con because that affiliate link helps support the show because for everything that you buy, we get 5% back from Miniature Market to go towards our show and everything that we get from them goes directly back to the show to help support major things like our strike tournament. So did you know that on our page there's 77 game listings and the availability, if you click on it, you can hit in stock 66. So, you know, 11 of the games that we've mentioned have sold out thanks to us. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> I, I doubt it's thanks to us. You don't think yeah. so? Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, Miniature Market, uh, have a lot of their games are listed as like, you know, a Gen Con, you know, previewed at Gen Con or, or showed up at Gen I mean, They'll have it marked whether it's like a Gen Con hot item or not. And as always, uh, we have links to the games that we review in our timestamps of our show notes that will take you directly to the page. But don't use that. No, instead, go to rawdicetakenames.com bookmark that link that we have there for miniature market and help support the show by using uh, the link go pre-order some games get that shipping over 100 you won't be disappointed and keep an eye out for sky team y'all really it's it's really good five minute initiative begins in three two one. Remember when Trivial Pursuit was hot in the 80s? 
where you had all these trivia questions from different topics. And sometimes you felt like I'm just not smart enough to play this game while somebody else who's like knows the encyclopedia inside and out. You remember those things, those books that you actually look stuff up in? I don't think I they exist say, anymore though. I was going to say that's a trivia question in itself. <laughs> what is an encyclopedia? Well, Randolph Games has a new trivia game that has a little bit of a twist where it's not exactly a hardcore trivia game. In fact, you get to pick the difficulty of the questions that you are asked. In this game called CDSK, you have a track on the board and you're trying to move your piece from one end to the other. The name CDSK comes from the fact that those are the four different types of categories. C is for curious which is very precise or bizarre subjects. D stands for delightful, which is for music, movies, and sports. Seasoned, S, is grown-up stuff, school of life, like stuff you just may already know. And K is for knowledge. That's the book knowledge stuff that maybe you learned in school. So when you land on one of those letters, your opponents will draw a card and say, for example, on a scale of 1 to 10, how well do you know dogs? Seven. All right, so then I would ask you a number seven question, and if you get it right, you move your piece seven spaces, and then it's the other team's turn. And at that point, it's really just a race to the end. Yes, and there are there is a little strategy, though. It's not like the normal, you know, try to get the pie pieces or anything like that. You do have to think about, you know, if we go ahead, I, shoot, I know the category vegetables really well, but if we go out all 10, we might end up on a category, a curious that we don't know. So we need to maybe tamper it down a little bit. That aspect of the game was really nice to be able to know that, hey, one, I'm not going to move very far, but at least I know I can make some advancement in the game. And then there's the challenge questions. The challenge spaces were ones where you, that you would have quick fire questions like name the Disney movies that were done from 1990 to 1995 and you have 45 seconds, go. Or better yet, how about a question about, we're going to read off a question, and if you know what it is, we're going to give you 10 points, and then we're going to keep giving you hints until we get to the bottom one where you can only move one. Or better yet, we're going to give you true and false. Those were a lot of fun. They weren't around the CDSK, but they were, they were all different. So those were very enjoyable. Like the true, false, and the list one, you move one space for everyone you get correct. Mm -hmm. Whereas right. the other one with the hints is just the quicker you got the answer, uh, you would move that many spaces forward. So I really enjoyed those two. I thought some of those were really, really clever. Yeah. Now, and once somebody gets to the end, they have to answer a incredibly hard question that we couldn't do. So that's the, probably the only big thing is we were not smart enough to win the game. No, because at that point, it's just a random question and you don't get to pick the subject you don't get to pick how hard it is if it's just if you happen to know it. And literally, y'all, we were both on the end space just bouncing questions back and forth and we just couldn't do it. So I thought when I play this again, I may do a house rule of maybe if it goes a couple of rounds and we can't get the answer, maybe it does become like Trivial Pursuit where the other team picks one of the categories and says you must answer a level 10 Honestly, I think you might have a better chance of doing that. Of course, some of these level 10 questions were absolutely ridiculous. Like y'all got, how well do you know Lord of the Rings from 1 to 10? And I thought, ooh, 10 is going to be some really bizarre family tree type question. And y'all said 10. And it was like, who was the spider that got Frodo? I was like, oh, are you kidding me? 
Well, and to be honest with you, I would not have gone Tim, but you poker faced it so well. Oh, good gosh, look at Tim. That's so easy. He's got this. I'm like, okay, Tim. You know, you, oh. so that's some of the challenges you need to face. Now, you can do one to four, I mean, I'm sorry, two to four teams, and you divide up as you need to. So you could handicap somebody. You put one person against a team of five. I don't know. But yes, this is a new taste on trivia, a new taste, a new take. Thank you. A new take <laughs> on trivia game. And I mean, I really enjoyed it. I, I liked how it was done. I definitely like how you have the capability of saying, you know, I don't feel that comfortable. You never feel like you're out of the game or you don't have a chance. And there were a lot of categories that came up. Like, I think y'all had one on spirits or something. Mm. Alcohol. And it was like, neither one of you knew that much about it. So you went like two or three just to play it safe. But you also picked a number where you could get to a category where you felt like maybe you were stronger in either the C, the D, or the S or the K. So that is CDSK, a trivia game, plays two to 16 players, plays about uh, roughly 30 to 45 minutes from Randolph Games. Five-minute initiative is complete. In previous episodes, we would tell you what we're going to add to our shelves. Our shelves got destroyed. Or we mm -hmm. gave away all our games. No, or, yeah, I was going to say, we gave away all the games, yeah. We're done with board games, then a month later was like, that was stupid, I want my board games back. So we've been systematically cherry-picking what games we'd bring back based on uh, game mechanics. Right, so our five games, at the very, first one we did, we said, these five games are going to start our collection. Then the next one we did was worker placement games. And then, for this episode, we're going to tell you some of our favorite deck building games that will be on our shelves. Now, rules of this is that if it's on the worker placement or the games to start your collection, it cannot repeat. You got to get something new on your shelves. Why would I buy two copies of the same game? Yeah, but maybe you would save room on your shelves by saying, okay, I'm going to put them all in the same category. Like, hey, this will fill this, this, and this. That's not how we're going to play this. This gives people the opportunity to see, hey, what was some of our favorite games? So I'm going to get started here, Marty, with number three for me on my deck building games. And that is one of the classics of, could be any of the 500 versions of it. Okay, there's not 500 versions, but it's Ascension. I want Ascension on mine because I like those games that, you know, where it's, uh, you can have two, uh, one versus one or multiple people. But the best part about Ascension is you're not beating each other down. You're trying to collect the tokens to get victory. Whoever has the most tokens wins. I've played over three, 4,000 games on the iPad. So Ascension is, I still have one on my shelves now so that I, it's called the Dreamcatcher series and I really enjoy Ascension. All right. So we're going to go classics. And by the way, for clarification, deck building is, you know, you start out kind of a basic deck and you build your deck during the game. So not like deck construction or pre-constructed decks like in magic or something like that. So just people know what we're saying here. Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. During take one, we had to go through this whole spiel about that because we, we did. Screwed it up. was like a five minute discussion. So see how we, we put that just down to 15 seconds. So we're saving y'all time by doing this twice. Yeah. People are probably sitting there thinking it'd be nice if y'all would do that more often. Screw up one time. <laughs> can, can you do a practice run before you finally do the full thing? Yeah. Can you do a dress rehearsal and then do the show? Yeah, that's exactly right. All right. So I'm going to go back to a classic too. Uh, after Dominion, I really want to try something that felt a little bit different. 
And I tried Thunderstone Quest, and I'm going to put that as my number three because that has the very classic feel of a straight forward deck building game. But I like the idea of building adventurers and going into a, a dungeon or a cave and facing off against monsters. And if you beat the monsters, you get some loot. I like building out my characters and adding weapons to them and stuff and going to the shop and buying things. I just like really the theme of that game. And it's, uh, in fact, uh, right now, as of, as of this recording, there is a brand new Kickstarter out for uh, Thunderstone Quest, which adds two new modules to it. So you can buy like the base game. Of course, with the Kickstarter, you can buy anything. You can buy the base game and all the other modules and stuff. So they're actually keeping that game going from AEG. So that's my number three, Thunderstone Quest. So after take one, I went out to the uh, garage to see some of the games that are on the top shelf. I still have the, uh, was it or the Thunderstone Quest Legacy? Legacy? I don't know. I don't have that one if that's the case. There were two versions and we did get the newer version, which was like the all in with the huge box. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think I have one of those. All right. So my second one is, you know, I enjoy my war game. So anytime that you can get me a deck building war game, I am going to put that back on the shelf. And we have done nothing but gush over this series of games. And I am going to put Undaunted Normandy on my shelf. I just, the, the that's the period of World War II that I visited Normandy. So I understand, you know, what was going on then. So that builds theme for me. So I enjoy the Undaunted series. I like how you are doing your deck build there, but you also have the tokens that you are moving, but the core mechanic is the deck building. It's not so much of moving the, the tokens around, it's how you can move them through the deck building. So my number two is Undaunted Normandy. All right, well, you know what? We were on the same track. I too am gonna throw an Undaunted game in the series. I've been getting into more historical games. I love deck building games. I think this is a perfect merger of the two. It almost feels like kind of a miniature game almost, but you're using deck building to activate your units instead of miniatures, it's token on the board. But I'm going to get the second in this series. I'm going to get North Africa, which adds some tanks and some additional elements to what Normandy had. Now, there is reinforcements that came out that kind of cross those. So you can go back and put the stuff that was added in North Africa back into Normandy. But we said, okay, we got to pick one to go with. So for me, I'm going to go with Undaunted North Africa. And between two of us, Tony, we, we got these two sets here. So we should be good in that series. Yeah, we got the two theaters of war covered. Yeah, exactly. We're still waiting for, hint, hint, the Pacific. Yes, the Pacific. Now, if we do games that, games that involve airplanes, then we can get Battle Over Britain. Yep. Right. Maybe he'll go to some, uh, David Thompson will go to something that involves submarines. That'd be kind of cool. That'd be cool. We haven't seen ship battle yet. So we've seen airplane yeah. battle. So I would think ships should be coming soon. Right, David? Right. Right. That's what David are you Thompson, doing? The, and Trevor Benjamin, the designer. All right. What's the your designer. number one then? Number one is one I got rid of a long time ago just because, well, I only had one group of it. But I started thinking as I get older, I need to make sure that there are games on the shelf that I can teach easily and that I can engage people who don't really play a lot of board games. So I need something that's fairly easy. I need something that will go back to the roots that maybe started this whole deck building system. And that is Dominion. Now, I really haven't played Dominion in forever. I didn't get all the expansions. I remember, you know, hey, this game, there's so many other good ones that are coming out. But guess what? I'm revamping the shelves. I'm 10 years older. So Dominion should show back up on my shelves just so that it's easy for me to teach people. 
So I'm surprised you went back to the the old original classic. But that that's cool. I mean, what 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 would be? Is there a different option on Dominion? That's I just remember that one. That's the only one I ever had. No, I mean that. I mean that's fine. Mm. But I was trying to in my picks. I'm trying to almost merge one mechanic with another one so I can get like originally I was going to put Lost Ruins of Arnak on this list, but however I'd already. <laughs> used uh my lost ruins of arnak pick for worker placement so it's already in my collection at this point so instead i'm going to go back to a game that i thought was a great mixture between area control and deck building and that's tyrants of the underdark first time i played that game i thought wow this is a really brilliantly well done of being able to play cards and trying to take over different areas of the board i love the culling system where you want to get cards out of your deck because they're worth points at the end of the game if they're in your if they if they've been scored and removed so again i was trying to pick something that merges two things together tyrants of the underdark uh is it and see and that's fine you're merging those i was like okay I'm all about, you know, what can I teach now that I'm older? What can I play? What can I remember the rules on easier? I, I need, that. I need to, yeah, I need to look at the um, second edition because they've made some changes to it. I may have to actually go and get this. Have they done a reprint of that? Yeah, Dominion Second Edition. It got rid of the Kingdom cards um, while replacing the blank cards in the game with a new Kingdom card. It's one of those games that Donna really liked it, so I'm surprised that you know, but. Like I said, she also liked some games that we didn't even mention. You know, she enjoyed um, Clank. Yep. She really enjoyed Clank. She didn't like The Hunger as much because, well, she got burned in the sun. Speaking of which, in our take one of this uh, segment, we both had Clank as our runner-up or special mm-hmm. mention, honorable mention. There it is. Clank's a solid, solid game too. So. Yeah, I, right, and I went for simplicity or Clank would have definitely been on here. I would have moved everybody up one. And put mm-hmm. Clank as number three. Or maybe I would have adjusted it and made Clank number two and Undaunted number one and Ascension still number three. Something I can play with. All right. So each of us now have 11 games in our collection. Let's just do a quick rundown of what they are. So for me, I've got Arkham Horror LCG, Arkham Horror the Board Game, Codenames, Imperial Settlers, Puerto Rico, Lords of Waterdeep, Lorenzo El Manifico, El Manifico, I had to do it, Lost Ruins of Arnak, Tyrants of the Underdark, Undaunted North Africa, and Thunderstone Quest. And on my side, it's like an like the classics: Carcassonne, Ticket to Ride, Just One, Pillars of the Earth, Seven Wonders, Lorenzo, El Magnifico, Robinson Crusoe, Fresco, Dominion, Undaunted Normandy, and Ascension. So now we want to ask you: What game mechanisms should we look at next to put back on our shelves? Come join our Discord channel, y'all. Let us know. We like to hang out there and chat on a bunch of different things and. Because the last two, worker placement and deck building, came directly from our listeners. So what mechanisms should we use next as we continue to refill our empty shelves with games? Once again, a big thank you to Game Toppers LLC for their Champions Table prize support. They provided all of the finalists at our strike tournament prizes such as bags and mats and a gift card well guess what y'all he's doing another big giveaway why because kickstarter 4.0 is coming soon and one of his brand new products is called the young sherlock game topper this is a low to the ground game topper with like 16 inch legs that is perfect for children's games puzzles or as a movable coffee table 
There are casters on the bottom of the legs so they can easily be moved around a, a, a playroom, a game room, or the living room. But not only that, you have your choice of sizes, 36 by 36, 30 by 38. It comes with the edged mat, storage bag, a set of four collapsible cup holders, dice tower bundle, and a game topper game token. He's giving all that away. That's right. Yeah, you're going to be able to get that on Kickstarter. But all that I just mentioned, he's giving away. It's a $1,000 value. And you can enter by going over to GameToppersLLC.com. Enter the contest going on right now. Keep an eye out for Kickstarter 4.0. We don't even know what's going to be in there, but we can't wait to share it when it happens. Again, that's GameToppersLLC.com. I don't know. Did y'all hear about this hot game that came out at Gen Con that caused a lot of craziness called Disney Lorcana? Y'all heard about that, right? It's about uh, it's from Ravensburger. Tony, is it Ray? If is it Ravensburger or Ravensburger? It's sure. It's either. I know we got a lot of good friends there. It seems like we should have probably asked which one it is. I think I've heard him say Ravensburger. Okay. We're going to go with that, and we're or, just. Gonna... I mean, yeah, it's after the bird. Maybe it is Ravensburger, but it is German. So <laughs> right. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, so this is the new collectible card game slash trading card game uh, from Ravensburger, based on Disney characters. Now, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about this game, how it works. I'm going to give my personal thoughts on this game, and I'm going to give thoughts on people who I think will like this game. Okay. Does that sound fair, Tony? Yeah. It's just don't. Yeah. You, you do. You be, you be you, you talk <laughs> about this the way you want to talk about this. All right. I will say that this is a fantastic intro to a trading card style game. Now, if you're not into TCGs or CCGs at all, this will not change your mind. If you're not into the idea of buying booster boxes and having blind packs that you're having to open and build decks before you go in and play a game. If that has zero appeal, I don't think this is going to change your mind because there are other simple games out there, TCGs like Pokemon, et cetera, that you could have gotten into before using this same format. But let's say that the TCG idea intrigues you or you've played TCGs before. This is a very, very easy to learn game that plays in about 15 to 20 minutes. You're going to have a deck of 60 cards. You can have up to four copies per character. Uh, there are different factions. You can have two factions in a deck. Build a deck. Come in here and start playing. Now, Tony, you and I got some starter decks that you and I got a chance to sit down and uh, and play. I would say we were up and running with this game in less than five minutes. I mean, the real quick start rules were really all we needed to get going. Yes, we, that's all we needed to do. I mean, it was pretty straightforward. We've played enough of these games to where it says, okay, we understand the, the concept of it, how to run to, to become the victory person. The challenge is going to be, of course, in some of the wording mm -hmm. and understanding the mechanics of what it means to be, to be able to attack somebody or not attack somebody. Is there a certain type of, well, let's go ahead and use the magic turn summoning sickness or whatever. Is that going to be happening in here? Understanding how all that interplays with one another. So if you're familiar with uh, collectible card games, this is all going to be very familiar to you. And just understand that like 
some that have come out in the past, you're not trying to destroy the other side. You're simply trying to get the most points and to be the winner of the game that you can collect over time. The goal is to try to collect 20 lore. lore. That's the whole goal of the game. So it's not like you're trying to beat down somebody else and knock their health down to zero. Here's the quick down and dirty player turn of a game. Each of you are going to start with seven cards in your hand. First player doesn't get to draw a card, but uh, on your turn, you can take any of your cards that has an inkwell symbol in the upper left-hand corner, show that to your opponent that it does have an inkwell symbol, and put it down into your resource pile. That will now be the resource that you can use the rest of the game to help pay for things. You only get to put down one resource per turn. Then at that point, you can start playing cards. If you have, a, for example, in that first turn, if you have a unit or a character that only cost one, you can exert uh, that resource, put that character into play. That character really can't do much for you that first turn because it has summoning sickness. You say, I'm done. Other person takes their turn. Exact same thing. Draw a card, take one with the inkwell, put it down in the resource pile. You can spend as many resources as you want to play cards that are stay out on the table. You could play items that help out your characters. You can play event cards that are kind of one-turn deal. And once you get all that done and you have some characters on the table, then you have some decisions to make. Each of the characters have a little symbol in the bottom right-hand corner that shows how many lore it would generate when it goes on what they call a quest. I would just say, hey, Mickey Mouse is going to go on a quest. I exert uh, Mickey Mouse, turn him to the side, and I collect number of lore based on what his lore value is. Then maybe I'll take another character and do the exact same thing and just tap everybody out and collect a bunch of lore. Tony, when it gets to your turn, you have characters out on the table. You too could go questing, but you happen to see my characters are exhausted over here or exerted. When they are exerted, you have the chance to call what's called challenge them. Each character card has a strength value, and I'm just going to call it a health value. It's called something else, but you'll understand what it is. You're going to pick a character, say, I'm going to challenge Mickey Mouse over there. I have a strength of three. Mickey has a life of three, so I'm going to deal three damage to him, which will put him in the discard pile. Mickey has a strength of two, but my life is four, so he'll deal two damage to me. It's not enough to get rid of me, and my challenge is complete. Literally, that is the entire game right there. Playing a resource, using your resources, challenge, questing, first to 20 points wins. And that's it. So your strategic is when do I go out and take their cards out or when do I go luring? What do I have in my hand? Do I have enough ink to be able to support this? I've got to build up that ink. I've got to make it happen. I am an animator and my... I'm sitting here drawing these characters. I don't know. I can't get a theme. You, out of this. you try. You try to force a theme into everything, and sometimes it's not. I think it's the I, I think the concept is that yes, uh, you have cards with beautiful art. I'm just going to say this right now: it's the graphic amazing. design of the cards and the art itself is gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's classic Disney art of characters from movies and TV shows from decades and decades of uh, stories of and, and old movies. A lot of people are just going to get in it for the art alone. So the the card design is absolutely stunning. So I do think the idea is like, yes, you're using inkwells 
in order to generate and create your characters. But like I said, it's not just characters you can play. There's also items that might give you some sort of advantage or just maybe like a one-time event. Like in one of our starter decks, Tony, I had some cannons. I would pay to use my cannons. So just deal two damage to that character right there. And uh, if you're from Magic, just FYI, damage carries over from turn to turn. That's that is different from magic. So you can collect damage, but there are actually cards that you can play in characters that will remove damage from characters in play. And there's this whole concept of songs, which lets you play cards for free. You may spend a character to sing a song and out comes that whatever you need to pay for that card. You don't have to spend ink. So there's you some combolicious things going on here. Sing a song, then use your ink to put some more cards on the table and as with a lot of CCGs, that it's a ramp up. It's a build up to try to get all this big stuff going on, which is probably one of my biggest negativities of, of magic. So I will go ahead. I do. Everybody knows who listens to the show. I don't like magic. Never have. Okay. What, and what is it you don't like about magic? I don't, I don't like the, I don't like when we'll talk about this, the mana issue. Okay. So you're talking about mana screw or mana flood. Sure. Mana screw is you just can't draw any mana to put into play. Or you're stuck with only needing land and you got all the fire on the table. Well, or mana flood is that's all you're drawing is nothing but mana and nothing else. World of Warcraft fixed this system, the CCG, by allowing any card to be a resource. It's interesting that we played three CCGs, brand new ones at Gen Con. They all had the exact same resource management. You could play any card from your hand down to the table as a resource. This one is a little different, and the card must have an inkwell uh, design on the card in order to be able to use it as a resource. And I'll just be honest right here, I don't understand why. I can't figure out why some cards have the inkwell symbols and some don't. And I've looked through the library of cards, and I still can't figure out. I wish I could have asked the designer. Yeah. So, But actually, it's not the mana flood or mana whatever screw. it's screw it's it's the fact that you're having to build up that the mana in order to get down there and in the other games we played you could always play a card there but here it was if you didn't have enough inkwell or the ink symbol you couldn't play the card so it took you longer to build that mana up or that ink up so i've never ran into a situation to where i couldn't play a card okay I, f- I felt on my side, that was one of the things I do not. Okay. Anytime one of these games comes out, that's why I will give it a better shake than I will Magic. Got it. Now, I will say, that obviously, this is going to be very important for deck construction because now you know you probably need to fill. I'm sure somebody's figured out the number. 70, 75% of the cards probably need to be inkwell cards. You know, Magic has a special percentage that needs to be land that's in your deck, um, et cetera. So that is different. Uh, we talked about uh, Star Wars Unlimited. Any card could be that. In this one, it is fixed. Now, the mana buildup, if you do get one per, is like magic. So this does have a ramp up, just like Wild TCG did. You're not going to pull out your heavy hitter first round. And it's scary to sit there if you finally do get in play, and you could quickly lose them. And and, and that's one of the, the things I was you know sitting there when we were playing this game. I'm like man, I really need to get this guy out. I'm not able to get him on the table. And if I spend all my resources, then it's just one person. 
And that's not going to do me any good because he's only, if he goes questing, he's only worth three lore. Meanwhile, you're racking it up. And I'm like, okay, if I go out and he can only hit one person, I may wipe them off the table. But that's just, you know. Three lore is a lot when you only need 20, though. Yes. Three lore is a lot. (laughs) But so I, I, so I, you're, you're sitting there debating, okay, next turn, Marty's over there and he's racking up lore left and right. I've got to take, I got to pick at him. I got to, I got to nip at his heels to try to reduce his engine that's going on over there because he's playing all these low value cards. So that's the decision that you have to make with the characters you have. Do you challenge characters that are exerted or do you go to question yourself? Another interesting design decision is the fact that you cannot you cannot challenge a character that's not exhausted. Mm-hmm. This was actually an issue that I had. Tony, let's say you bring out that big guy that will generate three lore and you don't use him. I can't touch that guy unless maybe I find another way to deal damage from something else in my deck. I can't u- challenge with any of them. Let's say the next turn you get out another guy with three. Now I'm staring with two big guys with six and I can't touch him. Now, I did run into this, and by the way, caveat, I have played this game 10 to 12 times because it's on Tabletop Simulator, and I got with some people over the weekend, and I was able to play a bunch of different decks, not just the starter, which is what I wanted to do. There's already a website out there with pre-built decks. You can import those decks into TTS and play them. So I just kept using popular decks to see how combos and stuff would work. To me, every game that I played had a runaway leader issue. Hmm. So if somebody got ahead and then they started like saying what I always do and you start popping out these characters with lore all over the place and you don't exert them, I can't touch them. And on one big turn, you could tap them all and go, okay, seven lore. I had 13. Game over. I win. Mm-hmm. Shake hands. Okay. No game did I play. Do we actually finish the game? Because if it was on my turn, and I was, saw what they had in front of them, and I knew I couldn't do it. I just shook their hand, and that was it. There was no need to even play my turn, because I knew on their turn they could just quest, and the game was over. Mm-hmm. It was very anticlimactic. Okay. I feel the same way with magic, so, okay. No, well, magic can exactly have the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, but, but magic does have something called responses. This game does not have that. What do I mean by that? That means if I was to do something on my turn in magic... Tony might be able to have a card that's a response to it. He can immediately have, oh, guess what? Interrupt. I'm going to tap some mana. I'm going to do this. That's what blue's notorious for. There's a concept called flash where you could play a card on the other person's turn and get it into play and stuff. That's not going to happen in this game because there's no response cards right now. Mm-hmm. There could be in the future, but right now there's no response cards. So whatever you do, I can't counteract that. And I guess the point we're making here is if you want a game like that this is not it if you want a game like with flashes and responses and things like this this is this is a game that at at its beginning is simply going to allow you to either have a big runaway at the end if you have enough ink or you're going to sit there and have you're going to pick at the lore over time and it's going to be a slow grind till somebody can make it to 20 now I understand the reasoning behind this because this is meant to be an introduction to CCGs. This is going to appeal heavily to family and children. And if you have children 
and you want to get them into this, I think this is a great, fantastic starting point. Because there are no responses, you don't get into Mm -hmm. this weird, tricky timing of like stacks, like in magic, you know, of um, it makes things flow a little bit quicker because there are no response cards. But it is honestly weird to me where on your turn, I can play this character, I can play this character, I can tap this, take this action. I'm just sitting there watching you and I can do nothing. Compare that with Star Wars Unlimited that we played. I take an action, you take an action. I take an action, you take an action. There was no response cards, but you always got to do something right after I did something. You could quickly respond to what I did. Whereas in this game, let's say I've got eight ink wells. I'm going to spend three to do this. I'm going to spend two to do this. I'm going to spend four to do this and three to do this. I'm going to quest here, challenge here. And you're just sitting there watching. Nothing you could do. Right. And and, until you take the event to allow me to challenge you questing where you've turned your card. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. But, but in star Wars, you didn't have to turn. I could go hit your guys. If they're sitting on the table, I was able to go out and um, slap them down if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and that's fine. I mean, when we think about Pokemon and we played that yep. and, and it was, you know, how did you get to play it? It's been forever. And I, I will definitely say I do not remember how, you know, the resources worked in Pokemon or anything. I just remember that it, too, was a very easy game for me to teach to my very young daughter. Well, sir, I'm glad you asked that because recently I started playing the Pokemon trading card game that mm. came out on the uh, Nintendo online service for the mm-hmm. Game Boy, which got me to reintroduce myself to this game, which is a good comparison to this. That did have mana screw because... Uh, there were mm. energy cards in there that were either, you know, fighting, lightning. You had to draw that. You had to attach it to a Pokemon. The Pokemon would then be able to use one of his abilities if it had the right energy attached to it and an attack. You had bitched Pokemon that mm-hmm. you could you could attach energy to. You could swap them out, bring them up. If that's bringing any memories uh, back to that. It's interesting that we talk about Pokemon. I have a coworker. That has a son who's eight years old who he's been teaching Pokemon. During lunch, I brought the Lorcana starter decks and I said, I want to teach you this game to see if you think this would be good for your son. Uh, we played a couple games. Again, it plays fast. I love that it plays fast. We were able to knock out a couple games during a lunch period, which was great. I said, what do you think? He said, I think this is a really good introduction game. I said, I think definitely kids will understand this. He said, personally, I believe my son will like Pokemon more. Because of the additional decisions and choices you have to make that Lorcana does not have. The idea of uh, when do I swap out Pokemon? You know, when do I, you know, retreat and bring up a new one? It's just really interesting things going on. So again, for an introductory game into the CCG world, this is absolutely perfect. It and Pokemon could honestly uh, go either way. Uh, My only question is, how will this do, do in the competitive space? Uh, I know at our local game stores, we're having some major, we had some major events for the launch. Will there be continued organized play over time? I assume there will be. It'll be interesting to see if competitive players grab onto this because it's going to require a competitive scene and a very active local game store in order to keep this alive. So I'm curious to see where this will be six months from now. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, you know, I posted in our chat here that, you know, a graded uh, Mickey Mouse promo cards and selling for four hundred plus dollars. So that silliness is still going on. But yeah, I want to see. I want to see what happens to them. I hope they can roll out the support. I hope they can get 
you know, the, the stores and the stores can get their product. Cause you called it, it said, you know, if they don't, you're calling it dead on, on arrival at DOA, but we'll see what happens in the future. So for, for my card gaming, if I ever have to buy another card game, I, unfortunately it will not be Lorcana. But then again, it is not for me because I do not have the young family. I do not have people. Um, I mean, even I don't think Donna doesn't enjoy playing these types of card games, so I don't even have to worry about it. So, mm-hmm. so for me, it's, it's not something I'm going to go out and try to find you and other people in our neighborhood to play. It's not, it's not me. Yeah. Uh, now I, I've been hitting a lot of the cons again. I just want to hit the pros again for what they are. It is very easy to learn. It is quick to play 15, 20 minutes, very popular IT, fantastic IP, fantastic art. Uh, the easy to understand cards. Again, I've played through multiple, multiple decks. Every text on the card is easy to read and understand. I didn't have to look up a fact or anything. Uh, you can create some very interesting decks. I played this one really cool one where Ariel has the ability that says you can ready her when the item card is played. The concept of the deck is to get multiple Ariels out onto the board and then use Ariel to like quest, 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 play an item card. Every Ariel resets quest, 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 quest again, play another item card, quest, quest. quest. I mean, you see, you can Mm -hmm. generate some really cool ideas with some of the decks. There's some creative people out there. I'm not saying the game can't be creative and that it's very vanilla. You can create some very interesting things. But for me, it's like an IP that I'm not that interested in. And I want something with a little more meat. So while it may not be for me, it very well could be for you, especially if you have children that want to get into this or you just want a light TCG style game. So that is Disney Lorcana. It's going to be all over the place. I think it may actually be in big box stores, Target, Walmart. Eventually, you're going to see it everywhere. If it sounds remotely interesting, I recommend getting two starter decks. Buy two starter decks for like 16 bucks a piece. Sit down with a friend and just see what you think yourself. It may pull you right into the TCG space, which is how Tony and I got into gaming. I can't even count the number of TCGs we played. That's why I was excited to talk about this because we have so much experience in it. And anytime a new TCG comes out, I want to experience and try it for myself. And I've done that, but doesn't mean as more changes and new sets come out, doesn't mean I'll tip my toe back in there again. Head over to Shop Portal Games for all those Portal Games. Now, I had some sadness. Oh. Ign- I know. Ignacy was not at the Gen Con. It was and very we, sad. We sent him a couple video messages mm-hmm. saying how much we missed him. We missed him. We missed a place to be able to put our stuff, our crap. <laughs> <laughs> we missed a base camp where we could store all of our crap as we walked around. <laughs> Yeah, miss seeing some. I mean, I got we got to see Captain Link, who's uh, usually at his booth. I was yes. very excited to see Saw that. Ben. That was great. Saw Ben, Miss Chevy. By the way, just a quick shout out to Ben. Ben, thank you so much for helping every year at the tournament. He came up to our room to help us carry down a bunch of prizes. He had a cart to carry it to the uh, Old Spaghetti Factory. Ben, thank you so much. That was very, very nice of you. And I'm not even going to mention that he stole my badge. <laughs> about that okay it's gonna be a little bit longer commercial than but normally because we got it's not even gonna be about portal games we get back (laughs) ignacy hold on just a second all right so we get back to our room and you're freaking out you're like i can't find my badge i can't it's gotta be here somewhere 
we're tearing the room apart. And like, we've already come up with, all right, we got to go. We're going to probably have to buy you a new badge. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're just trying to think of ways to, to get around this. And I thought, I said, maybe, maybe it fell into Ben's cart. Yes. Uh, when we put all of our stuff in it. So I messaged Ben and I said, did, did Tony's badge by happen by chance fall into your cart? And he messaged back. I'm wearing Tony's badge. I went, oh, okay. So, so can we blame Ignacy for not being at Gen Con for my badge getting all messed up here? I think we can. But anyway, that was funny. Back to Portal Games. <laughs> yeah, back to the Portal uh, ad here. So go over to shopportalgames.com. Imperial Miners. It's going to be the hot game. I know we are very excited for it. We're going to get us some copies of that. Um, be sure to always check out, you know, Ignacy's Classics, 51st State. The Ultimate Edition is out there. You have Brazil. There's 11. It's about the football and for those of us in the U.S. that if you're watching, yeah, the women are out. So you might want to pick up a copy of 11, the closest that you're going to get for, you know, the World Cup right now. And then, of course, there's the Detective series and the Batman series, which I know Ignacio has been working on some additional ones because he had this, you know, he was saying, hey, he loves it. He picked up that whole series. So looking forward to that. So be sure to head over to Shop Portal Games. Before you finish that, our friend Chevy Dodd, on his YouTube channel, Chevy Plays, did a review, an overview of Imperial Miners, and it's one of the first ones I've seen. So if you want to see how the game plays, uh, search for Chevy Plays, and he's done that there. Okay, continue. Dot com. <laughs> now, when we were at Gen Con, everybody at the Old Spaghetti Factory got to see the brand new logo. That's right. Ooh, taste Buds. Oh, no, there's no song. Okay, I thought you know. Whenever you say that, I'm wait. I shut up so you can play the insert the song. Studs, yeah. But yes, the Taste Buds logo is out there at Sir Meeple. He has it, and Marty has said we want you to put it on a pint glass, and we want you to put it on a shirt, so you can go over there and order those products right now. That's at SirMeeple.com. The pint glass, I think, is twenty dollars and ninety five cents. And then the shirt is the standard price. Uh, a big thank you to Ben Daniel, who we got to meet at Gen Con, who did the logo for us. It's great. It's got a couple a couple squirrels on it. One represents you, one's me. Plus some of the food that we tried around it, like durian, crickets, drinks, and everything. I just thought that would look really, really good on a pint glass because it's food and drink themed. Uh, just an excellent job. Big thank you to him for doing that. And I'm going to order me a, a pint glass. You want me to order you one too, Tony, when I place this order? Sure. I'm going to see if we can handle the dishwasher. Uh, no, do not put it in the dishwasher. Oh. You never put these in the dishwasher. because they're, 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 they're No, you, you hand wash these because of the way they're printed on there. But yeah, if you get one of those over at sirmeeple.com, we would love to see it. Uh, share it with us on uh, social media or come into our uh, Discord channel. Another thing I'd like to... Um Let's push out there is if you want your championship wear from gladiators in the arena from OSF, be sure to head over to Redbubble and visit Emily Rose three, where you can get a gladiators in an arena. Don't, don't do that. I've won. I forgot that she has the grumpy variant, uh, sticker that I've discovered this on my own, the grumpy variant sticker. I'd forgotten about that one, but you can order you a championship t-shirt. And, and next year when you come 
if everybody were to wear these shirts, then we wouldn't have to ask people, well, who do you represent? Right? That That's a good idea. Next year, we need to promote uh, people going out and buying the shirts and representing their team. That's a really good idea. We didn't do that this year. We got the strikes tournament was the most successful one we've ever had. The energy was just through the roof. It was, it was packed out. Ravensburger said afterwards, look, we, we want to help you guys out. We want to make this so it's e- even better support you guys however we can. So uh, that's a year away, but Tony, you did tell old spaghetti factories like, Hey, go ahead and reserve us for next uh, year on Thursday night. Right. That's it. It's, it's, well, it's, soft booked i can air quote it they said well just give us a call next uh, march and but we you know you've got your spot so we're ready to go with that though marty's in my wallet he wants me to go out and buy a new video game since take one he had downloaded it have you played it at all or have you been too busy no i've been too busy re-recording episode 301 that's not okay that's your that's your machine that you gave me's fault not mine <laughs> I've I'm got a little red light. No. It, it, yeah, it happens. It happens. No, I have not had a chance to crank it up. Tomorrow night's our game night. So it actually won't be for a couple nights before I get to try Baldur's Gate 3. The reviews are still hanging out there on Metacritic and OpenCritic around 95. The user scores around 9.3. It is going like blockbusters. I want to support this studio because there's no microtransactions. Basically, they said in their fact, it actually says where you have any microtransactions like, nope, you pay one price for the game. You get all the content that we have. I love that. I'm excited about that because it'll give me something different to do. I've watched more videos on it, even since last night, trying to say like, uh, what are the various classes, things you need to know before you get started. So I'm hoping to pick that up. I'm getting ready to go on vacation, so I don't want to get started on it. So I'm thinking I'm just going to hold off. And when I get back, you know, because there's no reason for me to start a multiplayer and then disappear for a couple of weeks. Sure. No reason for that. Well, I'll probably start a character just see how it's like when you get back. Uh, you have to, When you play multiplayer, you have to kind of start a character with each other at the same time and get on and play at the same time. That's kind of a pain. But that's just how it is to make sure you stay on the same story and level up uh, at the same time. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a, a bit different. I know you're interested in Starfield, but I guarantee you, microtransactions, microtransactions will be all over Starfield. Oh, without a doubt, yeah. it's going to be. Yeah, it's. Hey, you want to have fuel for your <laughs> your cruiser, your yeah. ship? Yeah, you. Oh, that's going to cost you a dollar. Oh, look, you're going. You want to get your updated gear? Well, you might want to spend a little money. Oh, look, you only have four slots in your vault. Hey, you want to expand that? Here's a few more dollars that you want to spend. What yeah. about this? Yeah. I, I will say going back to uh, uh, Baldur's Gate, uh, speaking of videos, one popped up day. It says eight things you need to know before you play Baldur's Gate. That three. one. Is that yeah. it from backlog battles or yeah. something like that? Is it, is it worth watching? Um, I'd only gotten to the first and then I had to go record. I was on YouTube trying to listen to the song that we mentioned at the beginning of the show. It's to make sure I still wanted to use that one. And I said, oh, I need to go watch that one. But I always watch those things. And then I'm like, ah, that was not worth my time. But I, I have not watched it. So you go ahead and let me know. Well, well you can just watch it at the same time after this. No, that's true. I could. <laughs> All right. With that, keep rolling dice and taking names. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to join our Discord channel, please. And you can also come over and follow us on social media at Dyson Names. And like we said, SirMeeple.com has our brand new swag. 
some pint glasses, and t-shirts with our brand new Taste Buds logo. I can't wait to get mine, and I hope you'll go get yours. All right, one thing I do know is that you would think after 300 plus episodes, I would learn not to drink a full glass of water. We, I have got to get out of here. I got to go.